Well, today we conclude a three-week series from the Psalms, and we're noticing this emphasis in the Psalms about seeking God all day long. Uh, Relationship with God is so comprehensive, and it's so satisfying. We shouldn't just seek Him occasionally or superficially, but the Psalms actually advocate seeking God in a very ongoing, uh, substantive way so that we're nourished through the Scriptures and nourished through through prayer. And last week we looked at Psalm 1, where we have this pattern, this, this uh, 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 declaration of the person who is blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord and therefore meditates day and night, in other words, all day long. Last week, we looked at our morning psalm, Psalm 5, where David made this, this bold declaration. There was nothing timid or nothing half-hearted about it. He said, O Lord, in the morning, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayers and then I will eagerly watch. And so that was a morning psalm. Today we're going to look at an evening psalm. We're going to look at Psalm 63 in this habit of meditating on Scripture at night or in the bed. And this psalm is really a case study in ending the day well. And we aren't going to find a bunch of rules, a bunch of laws about what you have to do every night. But we're going to see this pattern. We're going to see this this discipline that we are invited into, and we're going to see how it, it uh, this practice of nighttime meditation fits into this larger context of seeking God all day long. And so, Psalm sixty three. It's a case study in night, nighttime meditation. If you read the heading there, uh, it says this: a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And so we know that David was in Judah in the wilderness a couple of extended periods of time. Uh, The first time was when King Saul was trying to kill him. God had rejected Saul and said, David, you're going to be my next king. And Saul, of course, didn't like that. So he sought to kill, kill David. So David spent his 20s in the wilderness running from Saul. The other time was after David had been king for a long time, his son Absalom wanted the throne. And so Absalom was chasing him in the wilderness. And so either case, David was literally, not figuratively, literally running for his life. We see in in, uh, verse 1, this this, uh, expression of desire or delight for God. He says, "'O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you.'" My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You can probably think of a time when you were parched, maybe you were even dehydrated, and nothing would satisfy you except water, something cold to drink. And so uh, David says, that's the way I am with God. I, I am parched spiritually. Nothing will satisfy me except God himself. It's like I'm in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And I love how David expresses God. He says, oh God, you are my God. And there's nothing arrogant about that. There's nothing possessive about that. He's not like, God, you're my God, not anybody else's. It's more like he's taking God up on this covenant promise. God had said to Abraham and your descendants, I will be your God. And so David is saying, yes, I want to relate to you as my God, as the one who cares for me, as the one who knows me, as the one who who disciplines me. He lived as a person who belonged to God. And then in verses 2 through 5, David rehearses how he had seen God and experienced God's covenant love. And as you read this, these attributes of God that he lists, you get the distinct impression that these weren't just abstract theological ideas. 
God, uh, David had, had experienced God. He had this experiential knowledge of these attributes of God, his glory, his power, his loving kindness. Verse 2, thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. Have you ever said that to God? He said, my lips will praise you. Uh, Verse 4, so I will bless you as long as I live. What a declaration. Again, nothing half-hearted, nothing timid about this. As long as I have breath, God, I will praise you. I will lift up my hands in your name. And that was just a, a habit in worship. And if you're, not, if you're not comfortable in worship, raising your hands, you might try this in private prayer. Just let the, the posture of your body reflect the posture of your heart. God, I praise you. Try lifting up your hands to God. That was David's commitment. Verse 5, my soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. And so David is rehearsing how he had these substantive, deep experiences with God. And this is going to form the reservoir for David's nighttime meditations. He will draw upon this reservoir when he's alone at night. And the same thing can be true of us. If we're in this habit of experiencing God all day long, when we're, when we're with people and when we're, when we're, we're uh, kind of doing, doing whatever we do throughout the day, then at night, you and I will be able to draw on this experiential knowledge of God. And so in verse 6, he mentions his habit of meditating at night at bedtime. He says, when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, in other words, in your protection, I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. If you want to use the verbiage of Psalm 1, this is a description of the man who delights in the law of the Lord and therefore meditates day and night. This is an example of someone who is strong like a tree planted by streams of water. And he mentions here that he, he remembers God on his bed, and he meditates on God in the night watches. In in the Hebrew culture, the the night was divided up into three four-hour watches or four-hour periods of time. And so David is saying, in the middle of the night, when when I wake up at night, when I'm on my bed, God, that's when I meditate upon you. That's when I remember you. And so he ponders God's attributes when he's awake during the night. And we aren't given any details of exactly what was happening in his life, but very likely uh, people were trying to kill him at this point, at this time. He had gone from this, this luxury and this affluence and this comfort to being in the wilderness running for his life. What thoughts would be uppermost in your mind if that were true about you? I mean, what would you think about? What would you, you be preoccupied with? Me? Probably revenge, probably this is so unfair. What have I done to deserve this? Maybe thoughts of giving up, all sorts of things, all sorts of destructive thoughts can come into our minds at those times. David, David was in the habit of meditating on God, his power, his glory, his loving kindness in that situation. And it goes without saying, nobody was making David meditate at night. 
This wasn't some law that David said, I have to do this. I'm supposed to do this. No, he dwelt on God because God was his refuge. He knew that his help would come only from God. That's why he had this nighttime meditation. And because he had this reservoir of experiences and convictions from which to draw, uh, he was able to do this. He meditated in the night watches. He says, for you have been my help. He didn't forget, even in the wilderness, how God had helped him. His life wasn't perfect, but God had still been his help. And so he brought this experience to bear throughout the night. He savored the conviction that God's loving kindness had been better to him than, than life itself. And we find this, this in, in a lot of different places in the Psalms. Psalm 119, for example, in verse 148, a similar thought makes clear that night meditation wasn't raw duty. It was a delight. He said this, my eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your word. The psalmist actually looked forward to it. Just like last week, Psalm 5, he anticipated morning prayer. Here the psalmist says he anticipated the night watches. He anticipated these times when his, his, his mind wasn't so cluttered. He had this time, this peace, this quiet to meditate on God. When I wake up in the middle of the night, and it happens pretty frequently, it's usually not my first thought. It's usually this frustration and this, oh, I'm going to be so tired. I'm going to be so unproductive tomorrow. And uh, all sorts of things come, come flooding in. But David gives us another option, okay? If you, if you allow it to, the scriptures will just open your mind up to all these, these vast ways of thinking. We tend to get locked into these small, petty ways of thinking. Here's another option. God, I want to rehearse your goodness. I want to remember all the ways that you have helped me, all the ways that you have been my God. And so again, instead of frustration, we can remember that seeking God day and night helps us become the person we all want to become. Strong, stable, fruitful, a satisfied life like the tree planted by streams of water. Or consider Psalm 16. We get further insight into what David, what was happening in David's mind and heart during the night. He said this, Psalm 16, verses 7 and 8. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. And then he says this, because God had counseled him, David is able to say, indeed, my mind is instructs me in the night. The Lord has counseled me. My mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. He wouldn't have been able to say verse 8 if he hadn't, he wouldn't have been able to say verse 7 if he hadn't practiced verse 8. In other words, if he hadn't been able to say, I have set the Lord continually before me. I bring God front and center. I meditate on him day and night. Because he was able to say that, uh, David was also able to say, indeed, my mind instructs me in the night because his mind had been saturated with truth about God because he had delighted in God and his word all day long. At night, his mind was trained and his mind was able to tell him what he needed, needed to know. And so he had this capacity for his mind to instruct him in the night. And so when, his, when he was discouraged, uh, he might have said something similar to what we find in Psalm 42 and 43. It wasn't David, but it was the sons of Korah. They said to themselves, why are you downcast, O my soul? 
trust in God, hope only in him. In other words, if your mind is, is trained, if your mind is full of truth and your mind is full of the, the character of God and attributes of God, then your mind can tell you what to do, how to think, even how to feel. And I think we all see the value of having minds that are like that, minds that are trained. And yet many of us would have to say, that's not my mind. My mind is this wilderness. It's this wild mix uh, of all sorts of thoughts. And, and sometimes our minds can be our greatest liability, not our greatest asset. And so if your mind is a liability due to any number of things, it might be anger, uh, fear, sensuality, obsessive thoughts, revenge, whatever it is. If your mind is a liability, you, you've got a couple of basic options. One thing is to try to drown out your mind. If your mind is screaming at you and you don't like what it's saying, you can drown it out by noise or busyness or alcohol or drugs or fantasy or all sorts of things. You can try to drown it out or, and this is what the Psalms uh, advocate, you can have your mind renewed. You can learn new ways of thinking so that your mind is not a liability. Your mind is actually an asset. And when renewed by the word and prayer, by seeking God all day long, our minds can be our, the greatest asset. And that can be the case, and it actually should be the case because God is on record. He said in the new covenant, I will be your God, you will be my people, I will write my law on your hearts. It becomes this internal thing. If we allow the word of Christ to richly dwell within us, we have this reservoir of wisdom that our minds can, can utilize at the proper time. Well, let's finish up Psalm 63. And I won't make a lot of comments on these last three verses other than to say that David is contrasting his own life with the life of his enemies, those that were pursuing him. Whereas David clings to God and experiences God's protection, those who seek to destroy him, they, they themselves will be destroyed. But those who seek my life to destroy it will go into the depths of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will be a prey for foxes. But the king will rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him will glory. For the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped." And so the stark contrast, it reflects the contrast we saw in Psalm 1. The person who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates day and night, that person is strong like a tree planted by streams of water. Those who mock God and those who reject his ways, they're lightweights. They're like the chaff that the wind drives away. And so uh, we have these, 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 two, uh, these two stark differences. And so in light of this psalm and in light of David's habits of nighttime meditation, let's think about how we can finish the day well. And uh, these are ideas, these are suggestions, uh, these are options for us to follow. And the first two come directly from Psalm 63, the, others, the other two come from a couple of different passages. But the first one is to meditate on Scripture. And you can do this at night, even if you're, you're a morning person, even if you're not at the peak of your game at night, you can do this. And if it helps, think of this as a nighttime snack. 
Uh, just like you don't spend an hour probably getting a bedtime snack together, right? Just go to the fridge and you get a carrot, right? Or you get a piece of fruit, uh, something healthy, I'm sure. But it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to take a long time. And so uh, sometimes we have this all or nothing mentality with the word. Unless I have a solid 30 minutes undistracted, I can focus only on God, it's not even worth it. That's usually not the case. I find that two or three minutes, five minutes can be very refreshing, very profitable, especially if it's a passage that I already know, something that's familiar, familiar to me. And again, this isn't a have to. This, this isn't an obligation. I'm not adding one more thing to your nighttime to-do list. We're seeking to experience God whose loving kindness is better than life. And so we're talking about something that is refreshing and something that's satisfying. You know, the past couple months, the scripture that I've had on my mind more than any other scripture probably is 1 Corinthians 4. And it's a fascinating scripture. It's when Paul was, he had these, Paul had people that accused him of, of having uh, bad motives and they challenged his authority and all these kinds of things. And, and Paul had this fascinating logic. He, he told them, he said, uh, ultimately, I really don't think it's that big a deal what you think about me. He says, as a matter of fact, I don't really think it's a big deal what I think about me. I can have a clean conscience, but that doesn't make me innocent. He said, I, 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 my conscience can be very fallible. He said, what really matters is what God thinks about me. God is the one that exposes the motives of people's hearts. And that won't be fully done until the return of Christ. And so Paul says, you should quit judging my motives. I should even quit judging my, myself harshly because God is the one who will, will reveal the motives of the heart. Uh, Tim Keller calls that the art of self-forgetfulness. Uh, I'm not thinking about what you think about me. I'm not even obsessed with what I think about me. And so I've been thinking about this passage, and, and like many of you probably, I can get obsessed about what other people think about me, and I can get overly introspective and all these things. But there's this great freedom in just not asking those questions and saying, asking the question, God, what, what do you think about me? And saying, God, one day I'm going to have to throw myself on your mercy. And so I want to be a person who has a clean conscience, but ultimately... I am going to count 100% on the mercy of God. Good news, God is very merciful, incredibly merciful. And so at nighttime, when, when my anxieties and fears and obsessions come charging in, I'm finding that to be satisfying. So I would commend to you, bedtime snack, sometime, just find a little time to, spit, to meditate on Scripture at night. Another... Discipline, just remembering God in 63.6, David mentioned how he remembered God when he was lying on his bed. Specifically, he remembered how God had been his help. You remember Luke 17, it records how Jesus healed the 10 lepers. He said nine of them kept going. They didn't even turn back. Only one of them came back, remembered, and gave thanks, praised, uh, gave thanks to, to Jesus. And so that suggests that we should do the same. And so as a, as a simple discipline, it would be good just to take a couple of minutes at night and rehearse during the day, God, remind me how you've been a help to me. And you may have not noticed it at the time, but when you think back, you're like, God, 
you saved me there. You rescued me there. Or maybe God had disciplined you in some way. It might have been in a, in a conversation with somebody or through a, a scripture. Again, the idea is that instead of forgetting, just like today's over, whatever, you go back and you remember God and what he's done. God is always with you. He's continually at work at your, in your life. And so like David, you can remember him at night. Or another option, and this can be a very, very distinct uh, discipline, casting all your anxieties upon God. <clears throat> this comes from 1 Peter 5, 7, which says, casting all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. And I find this especially helpful at night. Uh, a lot of times we can keep our anxieties at bay during the day through busyness, through clutter, through noise, all these things. Sometimes the quiet of the night, the anxieties come flooding back in. And, and that can be for any number of reasons. It might be a conversation you had uh, and you think about it and you mull it over and you replay it in your mind, what was said, what you should have said, what you're going to say next time. Uh, it could be an unresolved conflict. Uh, it could be some sin you've committed. And again, we can keep our guilt at bay a lot of times during the day, but sometimes at night we find our guilt comes flooding back in. Or it could be that you're anxious about the next day, all the things you have to do, wondering if it's going to go well, if you're going to be up for it, if you're going to be competent and capable for tomorrow. And the anxieties about tomorrow can rob us of peace and sleep at night. When that happens... The worst thing to do is to try not to think about it. No, that's your topic for prayer. That's what you bring before God. God, I bring these anxieties before you. I cast these anxieties upon you because you care for me. And I encourage you to list them out. List out these anxieties. God, I can't bear this. I cast this, this relationship upon you, my anxiety over it. You're my help. You're my rock. You provide everything that I need. And Paul gives this, this amazing promise in Philippians 4 that, that when we pray, we make supplication with thanksgiving that the peace of God that surpasses comprehension, it guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And the last, last thing I'll mention is this prayer from Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. This is the last couple of verses of Psalm 139. David prays this. He says, search me, O God and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. So David isn't suggesting that God didn't know him, that God didn't yet know his heart and his, his uh, anxious thoughts. Now, if you read the first 22 verses, you see David knew that God knew him comprehensively. God had formed him in his mother's womb. God knew as every word David would speak before he spoke it. There's no place David could go to hide from God. And so God knew him extensively, comprehensively. And so this is an invitation. God, will you show me what you already know about me? Reveal uh, the contents of my heart and my mind to me. Expose anything in my life that is sinful, hurtful, and lead me in the right way, lead me in the path that leads to life. And so this prayer is an expression of humility and it's an expression of faith. It's a prayer of humility because you're acknowledging, God, 
I don't understand myself comprehensively. Sometimes I think I do. Sometimes I'm just, I'm just brilliant. I'm a genius when it comes to understanding my mind and heart. But that's actually not the case. God, you know me exhaustively. And so would you search me, try me, and show me what's actually true about me? And so it's a humble stance before God. But it's also a stance of faith because they're saying, God, I believe that you do know me comprehensively, and I believe that you can, can communicate that to me. And so I'm not at my own, uh, uh, left to my own resources. God, I believe that you, by your spirit, by your word, through others in the body of Christ, through circumstances, you can show me what's in my heart. And so it's a prayer of faith. God, I believe this is one of the rewards of those who seek him. He shows us what's in our hearts. Now, this is a prayer, it's a risky prayer. And you may think, that's the last thing I want, to know what's in my heart. The last thing I want to see is my hurtful way. It will be too crushing for me. I wouldn't be able to handle it. And so there's a risk. But it's a risk that's so worth taking because God is a heavenly father who disciplines his children, not out of anger, but for their own good, that we might be like him, that we might actually share his holiness. And so this is a wise prayer. prayer. This is a sane prayer. This is is an obvious prayer when you understand the heart of your heavenly father. And so we've got options, okay, at night when when our minds tend to go a lot of different places. We've got options for seeking God at night. And I want to just share one more thought about nighttime meditation, one, one perspective. Namely, that ending the day well in this way, it's both a cause and an effect, On the one hand, it's the effect of seeking God all day long. I mean, if you have been growling over the scriptures like a lion growls over its prey, you've been eating it and assimilating it and letting the word of Christ richly dwell within you throughout the day, then the effect is you probably are going to remember. You're probably going to want to meditate on God at night, so it's an effect, but it's also a cause because at the end of your day, as you're going to bed, your last thoughts of the day are on God and his goodness. Chances are the first thoughts when you wake up will be those same thoughts. If you anticipate God at night, chances are you're going to anticipate God in the morning. And so it all holds together, seeking God day and night. God is so worth it. And this is the life God wants to give us. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray now, not as a formality, but actually pray and ask him that this night, that this would be our habit and that tomorrow we would anticipate him and we would seek him all day long. And so, Father, we pray and we ask that, that we would be the, the person who's like a tree planted by streams of water. We want lives that are that stable, that are that fruitful in all different seasons. And so, God, tonight, would you give us hearts to remember you? God, maybe we'll remember something that was said here today or a conversation we've had or some experience that you've given us. We pray, God, that we would remember you tonight and not forget and that we would, would take time to ponder your goodness and how you've helped us. That we would remember your word and meditate on it. God, we pray that you would give us the courage to pray this prayer. To search me, O God, know my heart, try me. See if there's any, anything anxious within me, any hurtful way. God, give us the, the courage to pray that prayer honestly. 
and to receive whatever you show us. God, we pray that we would taste and see that you are indeed good. God, we, we are so uh, fickle, and we, we are, are so up and down on this. And so, God, would you give us consistency? Would you give us the will, the ability to walk with you all day long? And so, God, we pray this in faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.